Good morning and welcome to West Winds. Whether you're joining us in person or joining us online, a shout out to our friends in Haida Gwaii. We are so glad you're joining us. We are in our second week of our series, Church 101, and today we're actually talking about overseers and deacons. I know, hold on to your seats, folks. It's going to be an exciting ride. I am um, excited to talk to you about this this morning. I have to say, when I first was assigned this scripture, I was a little nervous, but I really do believe and trust God that he gives us exactly what we need to talk on at exactly the right moment for the exact right person. So I'm trusting him today, and you can trust him too. Let's pray. God, I pray this morning, uh, first and foremost, just that your word will go out, that we would hear from you, God, each one of us, as we listen to scripture and um, as we meditate on it, God, that you would help us to draw closer to you and closer to your word. Uh, right now, I want to pray specifically, God, for this situation that's going on over in uh, Europe, God. It can seem so far away from us and so removed, but we know that there are connections right here in our own church community, God. And we pray, God, first of all, for your peace to reign over that situation. But we also pray, God, for believers who are in those places, in the Ukraine, God, and in Russia, God, that you would raise up your church to pray. Pray like they've never prayed before and us to join with them, God, to join with their brothers and sisters, to pray for your peace, to pray for your love, to pray for your wisdom in these situations, God. We pray for our leaders, God, that you would give them wisdom, your wisdom, God, and that you would guide them. God, we leave this situation in your hand because honestly, that is all we can do, but it is the best thing we can do. So we leave it with you. This morning, God, I pray that you help me to be obedient to you and to listen to your voice. We thank you, God. We thank you for our church. We thank you, God, for our leaders. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, today we're talking about what to look for in a leader. And in the passages we're looking at today, they're specifically talking about deacons, and elders. And so we're going to be looking at these passages in Titus and Timothy. But before we jump there, I want to ask you a question. What do we look for in a leader, specifically leaders in the church, our spiritual leaders? And it's interesting because with this whole pandemic, things have really shifted, haven't they? We have been listening to sermons online. We've been doing church online. We've been exposed to a lot of different sermons through YouTube and social media. We have to come to a place where we start to sift things out and sift out the voices that we're listening to. The question is, who do we follow and why do we follow them? How do we make sure that the voices we're listening to are voices we should be listening to? That the leaders we're following are people we should actually be following? And it's neat because God's word, it has the answers. It gives us clear guidelines as to how we are to use 
God's wisdom in the voices we choose to listen to. And we have that power. We get to choose who we listen to. So today we're going to be touching on that. I encourage you. I want to thank you that, um, or I want to say that I am very thankful for the leaders of this church. I have been very fortunate to be here for over 17 years. And I have to tell you that part of the reason why I've been here that long is because of the health of the leaders. The leaders aren't perfect. They never have been and they never will be. But there's one thing that is primary. They love Jesus and they love people. And if that is the foundation of your life, everything else will follow. Like I said, it's not perfect, but that is the base that we need to look for, that they love God and that they love people. So I'm very thankful to have been a part of Westwinds this long, whether it's the pastoral staff or the board members or the leadership in different ministries, we have been blessed with excellent leaders, people who sincerely want to serve and follow God and want to serve and love the people in our church and community. We are starting at Titus chapter 1, verses 6 to 9. I'm going to read through these passages and then we'll talk about them a bit. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. <laughs> it's a good chuckle back there. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Now we're going to jump to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 13. Here is a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, he must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders, so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. In the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in too much wine, not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience, and they must first be tested, and then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, women are to be trustworthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be faithful to his wife, and he must manage his children and household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing 
and a great assurance in their faith. It's a long list, hey? Quite the job description. And like Paul says, he says uh, in verse 1, here is a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. If you translate in the original Greek, it actually means a weighty or heavy responsibility. And it is. It is a heavy responsibility. I used to work in a childcare center as the director. And one of my jobs as director was to hire people. And we would get different resumes from time to time to interview people for different positions, particularly in the summertime when we had to uh, have more staff on in our after-school care program. We would look at these resumes and there'd always be a list of their qualifications, their experience, their education, different certificates that they had obtained. But it always came down to the interview, always. The resumes were important, the lists of all the skills they had, the experience they had, but the interview is where the rubber met the road. And the reason why was because you could hear in their voice you could discern what their heartbeat was. You could understand more clearly why they wanted the job, more so than just looking at a piece of paper. The reason I say this is because oftentimes we think, as long as a person says, okay, they're a Christian, they've got this certificate, that makes them an excellent leader. Maybe they're charismatic and this and that. Oh, that's an excellent leader. But the bottom line is this. It comes down to character. Character is always more important than skill. Skip, don't get me wrong. Skill is important. Talent, it's great. But if the character isn't there to back it up, there's no value. I can remember interviewing one person for a position, and their resume looked amazing. They, would, they look perfect for the job. And I asked them this question, what is the reason you want to work with kids? And their response was, because kids give unconditional love. And that sounds really nice and really sweet and romantic. But what it told me was, they weren't there to serve. They were there to receive love. And our job taking care of children was to love the children, not for them to love us. And so it sent up a red flag. She wasn't a bad person, wasn't evil or wicked. I just knew she wasn't right for our job. She wasn't right for that position. This list, sometimes we get these lists in the Bible and we think, oh, it's a checklist. We should follow through. But in order to understand this list, we have to understand the churches these letters were being written to. These were specific letters addressing specific issues in specific churches. Titus was overseeing several churches on the island of Crete. And to give you an idea of what Crete was like, how many of you have ever heard the term, don't be such a Cretan? It's not a positive term, but it comes from what Crete used to be known for. There was many ports, but they were known for deception and greed. They were known for drinking and getting into big brawls and fighting. They were known for immorality. 
So when Paul makes this list for Titus, don't let the leader be this, don't let the leader be that, there's a reason why he dresses these issues specifically. Because they were, it, they were issues specifically in the churches in Crete. When he writes to Timothy, it's the church at Ephesus. Ephesus was similar in some of the challenges. I mean, we heard a lot of them repeated, right? We hear them talk about not being drunk with wine or not drinking too much. We hear them talking about um, not being violent. I mean, it's so funny because you read this list and you're like, what was going on in that church? Was there like barroom brawls breaking out every Sunday? What was happening? But to give you an idea, these churches struggled with, these were relatively new Christians, struggled with polygamy, drinking, they struggled with immorality, they struggled with fights, quarrels, particularly in Ephesus, there were leaders that were causing issues in the church and in the community where they were quarrelsome, they were fighting over false doctrine and they were putting things forward, causing major issues in the church. So there's reasons why Paul writes to these churches about these specific issues. I mean, look at the list. Titus, he hears, they must be blameless, a husband of one wife, not arrogant, not hot-tempered, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, not greedy for money. And we look at this list and we think, of course. Who would not think that a leader should not be those things? Instead, a leader is supposed to be hospitable, love what is good, sensible, righteous, holy, self-controlled, hold faithfully to the messages taught, and encourages and corrects. Timothy, not given to drunkenness, not double-tongued. In other words, what you see is what you get. They don't say one thing and do another. They're not violent, not gossips, not lovers of money, not recent converts because of the worry of them giving into pride. In other words, they have to be humble, not quarrelsome, not contentious. Instead, they need to be above reproach, worthy of respect, faithful to their wife or spouse, sincere, authentic, honest. Their children should be respectful and obedient. They need to understand the mystery of the deep truths of the faith. Sober-minded, temperate, that means moderate, not given to extremes one way or the other. To have a clear conscience, to have self-control, respectable, honorable, orderly, hospitable to strangers, friendly, welcoming, able to teach, and ready to do so. A good reputation with outsiders. Tested and vetted. Leadership can be really intimidating. And Paul says anyone who, who aspires to being a leader, it's a noble thing because it is a weighty responsibility. But just because someone wants to be a leader doesn't necessarily mean they should be. We can see that these different things that Paul writes in these letters fall into a few different categories. The first category is character. And like I said, character is the first priority. There's a few phrases that Paul touches on, and yet they are so pivotal to the leadership itself and the heartbeat of those leaders that they can't be ignored. He says, they must hold to the deep mysteries of the faith. 
in the other passage it says, just let me make sure I get it proper. They must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught. That means they hold to the gospel. They hold to the good news of Jesus. Why is this so important? Because the leader leads the church by example. The leader leads by the way that they live their life. Character is key. A leader shouldn't be extreme one way or the other, except only in their holding to the gospel, their love for God, and their love for people. Those are the only areas they should be extreme in. They need to hold to the gospel, and they need to hold on to Jesus. They need to be hearing from him regularly. We see that when we do that, the leader will be respectable. They'll have a clear conscience because they'll do what they believe is right. They'll be above reproach. They'll be honest and decent and blameless. They'll be self-controlled, not violent, not a heavy drinker. They will hold on to God's word. That will be the center piece of their life. Well, how do we know these things about their character? Because you know what? It gets lived out externally. So we look to the passages here about their relationship with their family. They will have one wife and they will be faithful to them. It's interesting because when Paul writes to different churches, not just to Titus and Timothy, he uses marriage as an example of Christ's relationship with the church. Marriage is supposed to be a reflection of God's relationship with us to the world around us. Christian relationships, Christian leaders' relationships need to be an example to the world because Jesus makes a difference in our life. When we're following him, he makes a difference in our life and it's reflected in our primary relationships as well as other relationships. So our relationship with our spouses needs to be a reflection of the love that God has for the church. In addition to that, their relationships with their children are also a reflection of God's love for the church. I can remember reading this and thinking, oh, it means that kids have to be in total subjugation to their family. It means that they always have to do what they're supposed to. They're just these perfect little kind of robots that go around. And if you know any of the kids of the leaders at our church, you know we're not raising perfect little robots. They are individuals. They have their own opinions, their own faith. But they have been raised in a way, like Paul says, in a manner worthy of respect. Not just of the congregation, but of the children themselves. The children witness their parents living out their faith on a regular basis. And again, that doesn't mean we're always perfect or don't make mistakes. But our relationship with our children needs to reflect 
the relationship that God has with his church, the love that Jesus shows the church. In addition to that, our church relationships need to be healthy. It's interesting because I have been in, I've worked in a church where the relationship between the leader and those under him was not healthy. One of the phrases, and it sounds so like, like not even, some people might not even notice it, but one of the phrases that was used was that they're not a bully. When I was reading through this, I'm going through it and translating it, and I'm like, man, I've been in situations where I have been bullied. It should never feel that way when you're with a church leader. You should feel like they're coming alongside you, that they love you, that they're not manipulating you or forcing you to do anything. They may push you, they may encourage you, they may challenge you, but you should never feel bullied, ever. Healthy church relationships are key. A church leader should be authentic, not a gossip, not manipulative. They should be honest in the way that they speak and act. And again, what you see is what you get. They should not be greedy or lovers of money, not quarrelsome or petty. They need to be able to teach and ready to do so. This comes down to their giftings, but also because of their relationship with Jesus. It's living and active, and their faith is growing and vital. And so what they teach and they speak comes from a place of experience and depth of relationship with Jesus. That makes all the difference. Last, they need to have a healthy relationship with the community around them. They have a good reputation with outsiders. They are hospitable and friendly and welcoming. People feel at ease when they're around them. They feel loved. And again, that doesn't mean that we don't challenge things, we don't speak the truth, but it means that everyone feels loved. Looking at this list, we can understand why Paul wrote, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task, a weighty responsibility. We have to be on guard as to who we listen to, the leaders or influences we follow. They need to follow the deep truths of faith with a clear conscience to hold firmly to the trustworthy message that has been taught so they can encourage others with sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. I have taken first aid before. Who has taken first aid before? Great, talk to me about being involved in kids' ministry. Um, I've had to take first aid before, and it's like a certificate that you have to renew quite regularly, so I've taken it more than once. Um, one of the things they always do is they teach you how to do uh, CPR or artificial respiration. And the instructor will come and they'll drag out this dummy. They always have a name. I can't remember what. Sally. Sally. 
Sally gets dragged out, and she lays there on the table, more than not, and she is used to demonstrate how to breathe life into somebody. The instructor instructs you how to lift the chin, how to breathe in, how many breaths to do, how many compressions to do, and it changes. Every time I go back to get taught how to do first aid, it has changed the way that you do it because they're learning more and more about our body as time goes on. I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, man, this instructor, they show you how to breathe life into somebody, and then you go, and you have to do the same thing on Sally, your own Sally, so that the instructor knows that you will be able to react properly in a crisis situation. Like, what a perfect example that we are shown how to breathe life into this dummy, and then we go and do the same. And yesterday I was thinking about, I'm like, man, I have this all wrong. I'm not the student watching the instructor. I'm Sally. <laughs> I'm the dummy on the table. And God breathes life into me. But the interesting thing is when God breathes life into us, we get up off the table and we get to go and bring others to Jesus. We don't breathe life into them. Jesus does. But we have to be the living, breathing example of him and his life in us. We have to be. And that has to be our expectation for whatever voice we listen to, whoever we tune into, our leaders in the church, our leaders in our different ministries, our leaders online, we have to make sure that that's what we look for when we're listening to spiritual leaders. The interesting thing is, though, it doesn't stop there. It's not just about us looking for good leaders. Because the reality is when we start following Jesus, we are supposed to become leaders in our families. We are supposed to become leaders in our communities, leaders in our jobs, leaders in our schools, leading by living the life that God has breathed into us. So yes, we look for leaders who are following Jesus, but we also need to be leaders who are following Jesus. Leaders come from within our church body, and that means the church body has to be living, following Jesus, letting God's Spirit birth in us those attributes that define what a good leader is. A couple of years ago, pre-COVID, I, I feel like that's a phrase that we use all the time now, pre-COVID, um, my friend took me shopping. I have to say, I was a young mom, and I didn't do a lot of shopping for myself, and when I did, I'll be honest, I shopped for clothes at the same spot I bought my bananas. And that's okay from time to time, but to build your whole wardrobe in a grocery store is probably not what's recommended. 
So my friend offered to take me shopping to help me pick out a few outfits that would be good for work. And, um, and so we did. It was lots of fun. It was a ton of fun, actually, just to have that day with her, spending time together and trying on clothes and just being, you know, silly. I got some really nice outfits, and they came back, and I was so proud of them. I was so excited to wear them, um, but I had these ridiculous shoes, and I say that now because I'm growing as a person. I had these little rubber shoes, and I don't know why I was so stubborn about these silly shoes. They were basically like rubber slippers. That's what they were. And I would put on these nice new clothes, and I would put on these funny little shoes, these old, worn-out rubber slippers. And the funny thing about these rubber slippers was they weren't even practical. Like, I could, I could pretend. I could be like, oh, yeah, they're just easy for, you know, slipping on and chasing after the kids or whatever. But the reality was when I put them on, I tripped. You can ask my husband. I tripped all the time because they would catch on the carpet or on the stairs or they were dangerous. A lot of times, we approach life like I approached my shoes. We allow God to clothe us in his righteousness, and yet we hold on to old parts of our life. And we can see that in people's lives, whether we follow them online or in church or whatever. If the leaders are holding on to the past like they were in Crete and Ephesus, they're not the leaders that we want to follow. Because you know what? If we hold on to our past, we're tripping constantly, stumbling around, making mistakes, getting into barroom brawls in the foyer on Sunday morning. We have to be willing as leaders, as followers of Jesus, to allow Christ to clothe us in his righteousness and to let go of our past sins, to let go of our past desires, to let go of our pride, to let go of our selfishness, to let go of those things so that as a church, we can move forward into all that God has for us. A lot of the items on the list might not apply to our church or to the churches we see today but the reality is this, character comes first, and our character needs to be Christ-centered. Whether we're looking to a leader or we're looking to our own relationship with the Lord, that's what we need to be looking for. That's the short list. That's the interview. Character counts, but it's character that is built on Christ and his righteousness and us with a desire to grow closer to him every day and to follow him and his way. So, be careful, to the voice, be careful of the voices you listen to, whether it's me, and honestly, if I ever say anything or do anything, please come talk to me. But pay attention to your leaders. Because the leaders are the ones who are leading us and guiding us to where God wants to take us. And if we really want to go where God wants to take us, 
We have to make sure they're following God too. They're following his heartbeat. They're listening to his voice. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the leaders in this church. I thank you for our board. I thank you for our pastors. I thank you, God, for our worship leaders, leaders in youth, leaders in the lunch program, leaders in kids' ministry, God, people who are leading in places that we don't even see. But, God, we thank you for them. We pray for them, God. We pray and lift them up to you, Jesus, that you would strengthen their faith, that you would bolster them in the places where they feel weak or like they don't measure up. Remind them that you are the one who's called them, that they were your righteousness. Help them to lean into you and all that you're calling them to. Help them to grow closer to you. Help them to study your word. Help them to love you more every day. And in doing so, God, lead them into a place where they love people more deeply every day. For us as the congregation, God, help us to lead by example. Just like you instructed Timothy to lead in the way that he speaks, in the way that he acts, in the way that he loves, in his faith, help us to do the same, God. We ask this in your name, Jesus. We thank you, God, for your goodness to us. In your name we pray. Amen. In closing, I'm going to share a scripture with you. It's from 1 Timothy chapter 4. The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits, things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and on good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths or old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. Holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive, because we can put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and especially of those who believe. So don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture to preaching and to teaching, do not neglect your gift. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Hold those who lead and influence you to a high standard, to God's standard. But also know that that same standard is for each one of us. If we claim Jesus as Lord, we follow the same guidelines. Thanks so much. I hope you guys have a great week. I hope 
you know that you are loved and chosen for a plan and a purpose and that God wants to use you to lead where you're at as well as to place good, solid leaders in your path to help guide you. Have a great week.